three old men, one aged 70, one aged 80, and one aged 90, were discussing this question of death, which is never very absent from our minds when we're old. The man of 70 said, well, I've been a soldier, and what better way to die than leading my troops into battle? The man of 80 said, well, he said, I've been greatly interested in yachting all my life, and what better way to die than to go down with my yacht in a stiff breeze. And the old gentleman of 90 paused, and he said, if I had to die, if I... No, mind you, I don't want to die, but if I had it, I know... I'd like to be shot by a jealous husband. More from Dr Roy Geary later. But when we asked Dr Geary what age he was, he was less than forthcoming. Well, that's a delicate question, and uh, I'm shy as a girl about that. But I will confess to be in my 85th year. Old age is one social problem which we are only beginning to face. Scientific research into the problems of growing old in Ireland today was until recently non-existent. However, a report appeared a short time ago from the St Vincent de Paul Society which attempted to look at the problem. Robbie Gilligan was involved. Uh, there's one in three old people lack all five basic water amenities. They lack bath, shower, running water, hot water, kitchen sink. Uh, there are one in ten elderly people have no electricity one in four are dissatisfied with their heating arrangements and minorities too have problems with dampness and drafts so and that that is on the housing front people have serious problems uh, that they don't have the capacity to solve by themselves who is responsible the government as a whole uh, has a fairly firm commitment to the elderly and i think this can be seen from some of the measures which have been taken in recent times uh, for example, in the budget last year, we had a 25% increase in benefits, which was the biggest amount in money terms ever. Uh, we had the fuel scheme, which was uh, the cheap fuel scheme, which was changed into a national scheme in the course of the year in August. And uh, in addition to changing it into a national scheme, which brought in about 29,000 additional people into the scheme, the rate for the voucher was increased by 33 and a third percent. So these are practical things, and, but they're very important. And needless to say, uh, just for Christmas, we had the Christmas double week. Now, that's the first time that was ever introduced, and uh, <clears throat> it was introduced with the elderly in particular in mind. I mean, they'd be the biggest single group of beneficiaries. Of course, it, it um, applied to widows and deserted wives and other categories as well but um, the elderly would be the biggest group benefiting from that, and it was seen as um, an aid at the very expensive time of Christmas. So I think there are very practical demonstrations of the government's commitment to the elderly. The Minister for Health and Social Welfare, Dr Woods. Physical problems, food, fuel, housing, etc., are only one aspect of the report's findings. There's also the major problem of loneliness. 
On the question of how much contact an old person who lives alone has with other people, we found that one in five old people would not meet anyone uh, in a week. They wouldn't have any visitors uh, in any one week. And we think that this is a serious question, that their friends and neighbours are not in touch with them and they are not in touch with their friends and neighbours. We found that half of the old people living alone were unsure of being able to get in touch with someone if, if, if an, something happened to them in an emergency. And we found that a quarter felt they wouldn't be missed if they were out of sight for a day. So really, though, we think these are quite chilling findings, really, that uh, the sense of isolation and anxiety. Robbie Gilligan. One of the biggest elements which came through in that report, which was a very interesting report, uh, was uh, the extent of loneliness, the extent to which people were lonely, as, dist as distinct even from... Uh, the purely financial aspect and it's one that people are inclined to forget and it's probably a lot easier to solve if people want to solve it and uh, this brings us back to the whole question of community involvement with the aged. Dr Woods, people could be forgiven for wondering where such goodwill could be found in a society where according to Dr John Fleetwood People are being subjected to vandalism we have known of fireworks being pushed through old people's letterboxes, windows being smashed, uh, trip wires put across a door and things like this, uh, which I think doesn't say very much for our standards of humanity. Not just here in Dublin, of course, and that's not what I'm talking about, but colleagues in other parts of the world have told me the same thing. But notably in the Far East, I've never heard them say this at all, where old age is honoured. Vandalism is one aspect of our disregard for the elderly. Cases of vandalism are, thankfully, fairly rare. But what of our general attitude to the elderly? The ALONE organisation has done much to highlight the lack of honour shown to old age in our society. Willie Birmingham, the Dublin fireman who founded ALONE. There hasn't really been any improvement of a major nature. Uh, certainly there has been improvements in the, in the conditions of quite a number of the people we contacted and uh, were able to help successfully. But uh, generally there hasn't been an improvement. In fact, it's, it's much worse now than it was uh, when Alone started uh, nearly four years ago. And uh, the problem of contacting people who are in uh, difficult circumstances... For instance, today I observed three or four accommodations in the city while I was travelling by bus, and... Uh, I took note of each of those addresses that, well, we can find out and investigate what the conditions might be of the person or persons that are living there. Now, if more people were interested on a local level and they knew, and let's face it, lots of people do know where people are in bad conditions and haven't got sufficient supplies of food or fuel, and they should uh, help out if they're not able to help directly themselves on a person-to-person -person basis, they should call in a voluntary group or the statutory authorities and get them to help. The Minister does not agree that very little has been done. But, like Willie Birmingham, he feels that the impetus must come from friends and neighbours. But is this expecting too much in a changing society? 
I don't accept the fact that your neighbour doesn't count. I mean, if, if we accept that as a principle, we're in an impossible situation. I mean, that's the reality. Because there's no way that with the handicapped and the, the old and the deprived and, and various other uh, forms, there's no way you can meet that unless people uh, in communities give uh, assistance themselves. Now, on this basis, of course, uh, we would be trying to promote community involvement and uh, trying to support that community involvement. So uh, we'd see the home helps really as fitting in as a support to community involvement. I mean, first of all, you have some counties where you have a, a care of the aged committee in every parish. Um, now, obviously, they're going to do their homework in relation to where the elderly are and what their needs are and to ensure that if they need support in looking after them, that the support will be provided. Uh, we have social service councils who do the same sort of work in other areas. Um, we have parish committees. So uh, where they exist, you have a better infrastructure and you, you will have fewer problems. There's tremendous work being done in that direction. Now, I, I personally would like to see in every parish and in every community a committee uh, for the aged. The survey also pointed to the absolute necessity for community involvement. We've certainly found that friends and neighbours are the most important source of contact for old people, much more important than any formal organisation, whether a voluntary organisation like the Vincent de Paul or a statutory organisation like a health board. Uh, we must remember that half of the old people, roughly, have no children, so therefore they have, their children are, they have no children to visit them. Uh, so it, it, the clear finding we have found is that old people must rely on friends and neighbours for social contact, for assistance when they're in difficulty, just with managing day to day. So our message would be that we would ask friends and neighbours, people living in, in the street, people living in a, in a townland, that they would make sure that no old person in their vicinity is, is unvisited and out of contact. There is an element of pious platitude in appealing to people. There's an unhealthy dependence on voluntary organisations, on charity, which would be difficult to sustain. We're going to have to, to re reward people in, uh, for helping old people. If they are, have daily contact with people, if they're doing practical things for people like cooking meals, doing messages, cleaning the house if they're taking what amounts to full-time care of, of the old person, then I think we must consider uh, rewarding them for the income that they have foregone by spending time doing that. Uh, we even uh, we often see a situation where relatives s devote their life to the care of their parents or to the care of aunts or uncles, elderly relatives, and, and, and they give up work to do that. Now, if someone gives up work or gives up the chance of working to care for people, I think we should be, as a community, we have a responsibility to see that they don't suffer financially for their commitment. Robbie Gilligan. This type of payment would, of course, be very expensive. No doubt this question of increased payments will be one of those raised by the new Umbrella Organisation, which will deal exclusively with the problems of the elderly. Uh, we're planning to set up very shortly a National Council for the Aged. And uh, again, this council would provide the uh, advice and uh, to me as minister and uh, to the uh, National Social Services Council uh, at the same time uh, on the 
best direction for uh, the work in the development and improvement of conditions and whatever for the aged. What does Robbie Gilligan expect from the council? I would hope and strongly urge that it would have uh, strong powers to uh, try to ensure coordination between housing authorities and health services. Uh, and that, for instance, in the area of sheltered housing, there would be a much stronger commitment by both the Department of the Environment and the Department of Health to getting more things done in that area. On the ground, I think we're going to have to have much more cooperation between people, local authority, housing departments and health boards about the care of the elderly, making sure that all of the elderly people in an area are, are properly housed and have proper services. And we're also going to have to try and see that there's real cooperation and coordination between voluntary bodies and statutory bodies. Uh, now this works quite well in many areas already, but really we have to try and approach it in a much more systematic way, uh, not leave it to chance or leave it to the goodwill of personalities involved in certain areas. There has to be, we have to try to set up a, a system which works nationally so that old people aren't relying on the good fortune of living in an area where people get on well, where the services get on well together. Uh, we have to have ways of monitoring the quality of service in different parts of the countries. We need more information, more data about what's going on so that we're able to evaluate what's being done for old people in different parts of the country. Uh, and we need to actually have a system where we can monitor how many old people live in a particular area, how many of those are at risk, and how many of those are receiving the services they need. And how, how quickly are they receiving those services? How efficiently? And how satisfied are they? Those kinds of questions we need to, to answer and have answered continually. And I would hope that the Council for the Age will set about setting up the, the mechanisms for, answer, for answering those questions. I hope it just won't be a talking shop. I hope it will actually go down to local communities and it, it's, the effect of its work will actually reach down to local communities and it will actually affect the quality of service to old people. If it fails to do that then it will really, I think, uh, it will be very hard to justify. If the Council for the Aged can tackle these problems on the ground then situations like this one which Willie Birmingham came across could well be avoided. Several weeks ago we got a call one of our volunteers got a phone call to the effect that there was an old lady in the Ballsbridge area in extreme and dire need and that her son was drinking heavily and causing a ruckus in the, the room where she lived. And we took it that this was more a matter for the Garda than for the Alone Society. And we didn't take action on it that day, but the following day we got another call to say that she was really in need and I went on a Sunday morning uh, the following day to see her. And when I opened the door of the room where this woman lives, um, I got the terrible smell and could readily identify that the woman had a kidney problem. And when I went into the room proper, uh, I noted that there was no wardrobe and the bed was really upset and uh, not very, very clean. In fact, it left a lot to be desired. And perhaps most important of all, the ashes in the fire grate uh, had come out as far as the, about three feet from the fire grate front. And that was an indication that it hadn't been lifted in several months, maybe five or six months. 
and uh, there was no fuel in the tea chest which she had there. So I cleaned up the place with her permission and uh, she requested me then to change or make her bed for her and uh, I got a few details from her about her uh, family connections and so on and went away having done that and got a couple of sacks of coal for her from a local supplier and I was quite lucky in fact to get someone on Sunday to do that. Physical well-being is one aspect of the problem of growing old in Ireland today. The other is emotional well-being. Statutory and voluntary bodies can, in theory at least, make sure that everybody is fed, warm and reasonably comfortable and where they want to be. But the other problem, loneliness, is much more difficult to tackle. Of course, we, are, we all are sorry for old people, for lonely old people. But I'm, I, going on my own experience, I would say that old, all old people should ask themselves whether they aren't a little responsible for their own condition. Dr. Roy Geary. Shorsha, who's 90, has recently moved into a home for the elderly. If loneliness is feeling the time passing slowly, then he wouldn't appear to be suffering. I haven't got enough time. You see, of course, the velocity of time is really relative to, 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 to a person's age. But here, apart from the fact that old people find the time going fast, here it seems to go doubly fast. Uh, a, a, a pal will come along and say, I have a lovely article here now, I'd love you to read this, you see. And, and you, you take the book and you, you, or the, the paper, you simply haven't got the time to read it. You see, even though we, we, we've got all the time in the world, we, we still haven't enough of time to carry out all the, or to develop all our interests. So that, on the whole, life is passing very pleasantly. Then there's a great spirit of camaraderie and bonhomie among the, among the people. Some of us uh, wobbling around on sticks will find that it's a great thing to, to be able to call out some of those people that are still mobile to go out for a packet of cigarettes or a box of matches. Or you find they're very, very willing to help each other. So that there's really a grand spirit in the place. Dr Roy Geary, who's 84, goes to work every day. Like Shorsha, he doesn't have time to suffer from loneliness. He left the Irish Civil Service after a distinguished career way back in 1956. Well, I retired at 60, as a matter of fact, and went to a new job. And the fact of a new job would be if my voice can go out like a major, that of a major prophet, I'd say to people when they retire, always arrange to go into another job. And speaking about other jobs while it's in my mind, I'd strongly advise people at any age to change their jobs about every 10 years. Dr Geary is very lucky in the sense that he's still in demand because of both his experience and his specialist skills. Except for my hearing and touching wood, my general health is good. And I attribute this very largely to, to two causes. One is that I have a job 
and I work hard, and I have the illusion that my output is what last year was as big as any year in my life. Let's not talk about the quality of it, but I have the illusion that I am as efficient as ever I was, and I emphasize the word illusion because its illusion keeps us going at any age, <laughs> including my own age now. But uh, if I presume to, advi uh, to advise all people about their health, I'd advise them to take some light exercise. Mine is walking, and it worries me. I was, when I was young, I was a quick walker, but it worries me no longer when young people pass me out. So in other words, I recommend walking, but not to overdo it. A mile or two a day is quite enough, but never miss a day. Work and exercise have kept Roy Geary's adrenaline flowing. His work has helped to keep his spirits high. The great thing about being old is having something to do. And I haven't the smallest objection to being paid for it. I'm very proud of the fact that not only am I a pensioner, but I'm also on a payroll. And a payroll means that people regard you still as some use. And that's an absolute essential for old people at any age to regard themselves as some use. Statistics for me was a lifelong interest. Statistics for everyone, or I beg your pardon, but one's, the, the main thing for everybody at any age is to have an interest, to enjoy their job. And I have kept this interest alive all my life. Uh, but if your interest is playing golf, play golf by all means. If your interest is the garden, it's the same thing. The, the main thing is not what you do, but to have an interest in it. Even at one time I was very interested in, say, crossword puzzles. By all means, but look forward to doing your crossword puzzle a day or an hour. Does he understand the loneliness which is a feature of so many old people's lives? Of course, I realise that I have been particularly lucky or blessed in my job. I loved every moment of it. And I realize that that is not the case with people at any age, and particularly with, with old people. I realize, of course, there's a problem of loneliness. But if I may, and there's also, of course, increased risk of illness, increased risk of accidents. I've had a few myself. But... Uh, I would say that loneliness is, is associated again with the problem of our time, which is, I think, boredom. And 
boredom is the cause of many of the ills of the society has at the present time boredom so loneliness is an aspect of boredom and my answer at least a partial answer to the problem of loneliness in old age would be deliberately for every old person to acquire an interest. Not everybody will be either interested in or able to continue in their particular job, but they can always go into something new. Age per se is no measure of physical or mental ability. Uh, I've seen an old lady of 98 have an operation for cataracts. And everybody said the ophthalmologist was mad. But that lady lived for four more years. And she could read reasonably big, clear print. I think that operation was well worthwhile. I've seen an old gentleman of 90-plus who broke a leg, have the leg pinned. And he was able then to get around... Okay, he was on a walking aid, but he wasn't in bed getting bed sores and demanding maybe two nurses to turn him. It was well worthwhile taking the gamble. I've seen an old lady opened. Everybody thought she was malignant and that the surgeon was mad. In fact, she had a very tiny adhesion, which she relieved in about ten minutes, and she was back and she lived another eight years. So age is no criterion of ability. Now, I'm always talking about this in pre-retirement lectures. You have to retire at 65, 95, 45, some arbitrary age. But that only measures how long you've lived. You could be senile at 40. I know people who are elderly, in their 40s. Ah, no, Joan and I never go out to a dance. Ah, no, wouldn't dream of going even down the country for a holiday. No, no, we never go out to to the local. Those are old people. But I know men of 80 who dive into the winter 40-foot. Men, I'm stressing now, not women. And then walk home a couple of miles and have a good lunch and probably a few jars. Those are not old men, except chronologically. We've got to get away from this idea that because you've lived X years, therefore you are or are not fit to do a job, to enjoy yourself, do anything. Dr John Fleetwood. Robbie Gilligan and the St Vincent de Paul Society feel that we might be wasting a great natural resource which could be harnessed by the social services. There's a very strong tendency for them to regard the old person as a passive, dependent recipient of service, someone who has lost capacity to be creative or active or, or imaginative. In, for, for the, that old person to be a partner in the provision of service. Uh, I think we must try very hard to involve the elderly as consumers of services in the management and policy forming of, of those services. Uh, elderly people, certainly right into their middle 70s, usually are, can be, remain quite active and can, can have, have a great deal to contribute to uh, the quality of life in the community and certainly to the, qu- to the quality of services for elderly people or the older elderly. 
in the States and in Britain they've become very, very aware of this, that, that uh, the newly retired represent a huge reserve of uh, talent which can be devoted to the needs of the older elderly. So certainly the elderly can help each other and I think we've, we are at this stage not exploiting the potential of that possibility as fully as we should. That was Robbie Gilligan. Jack Dunphy is a professional community worker in Dunleary. He began a novel scheme which demands active involvement from its membership of over 250 elderly people. We felt, uh, working here in Dunleary, that there was a need to move away from the what was fairly traditional and established services to old people, like the traditional old folks club, uh, which tended to go in for... Um, sort of passive games like bingo or uh, an afternoon of dancing or things of that nature and we felt that there was a need to move in another direction that old age does not necessarily mean uh, senility um, or loneliness or isolation but in fact it can be a time of, of opportunity for people with their families grown up and more time on their hands that they could get involved in interesting and stimulating activities. So that's the direction we moved in. Um, We have decided uh, in the very beginning that as much as possible that the people involved in the association, the old people, would take charge and take direction of the activities that they were going to do and going to get organised and that the organisers, if you like myself, the professional uh, community worker, would move to the edge of the action and eventually withdraw altogether and let the people get on with organising their own association and their own activities. And this has this has worked very well. Uh, there's a whole range of activities that certainly I would never have assumed that old people would have been interested in. I think this is one of uh, the problems, that we make too many assumptions about their ability and their interests and what they would and what they wouldn't like to do. It reminds me of uh, the old person standing on the side of the road who was just looking up at an interesting building and a well-meaning person came up and hushed him across the road assuming that that's where the woman wanted to go, when in fact all she wanted to do was to admire an interesting building. Well, I think we've been making too many assumptions about them instead of giving them the opportunity to decide themselves what they want to do. As uh, Tom here will give you an idea, he's been in the association for a year now and is almost overworked. When Tom Murphy retired, he found himself with a lot of free time. So I came and I joined the association and my wife joined with me and we found that there were lots of other people there with similar wishes to take up activities which they hadn't had a chance to take up during their working life and they decided now is the chance having achieved retirement status that we would start. So I joined the association Woodwork class and in no time flat I found myself involved in quite a number of different activities. I was 
first of all invited at the AGM to join the Executive Council. And then I was asked would I try and build up a secretariat, which is really the administration committee of the association. Uh, I did both. I went on the Executive Council and also on the Secretariat where we deal with the issue of circulars to our members. We issue uh, deal with the postage distribution and things like that. But I was particularly interested in the way that uh, Jack had more or less passed over the act of running of the association. He has sort of thrown out the sprats and the association took them up. They formed an executive council, uh, a board of management of the officers underneath it, and underneath the board of management we had a number of committees. There's a committee for each activity which runs that particular aspect of the association. The number, as Jack was saying, of... uh, activities has grown really tremendously. We have between 18 and 20 different activities. For instance, we formed a French class. In no time, we found that we just couldn't cope with the number of people who wished to learn French. So we now have three French classes, a beginner's, second level, and advanced. Similarly, we'd have two classes on woodwork, beginners and advanced. We have four art classes who are producing some excellent work, really professional work. We went along to one session, which happened to be an art class. Well, I enjoyed very much. I liked the art, of course. I didn't think of much time when I was younger, you know. So I liked it. I did like it when I was at school, but that's so many years ago. But it's uh, it's great interest and... uh, when you're, you know, when you're getting on, it's great to be able to sit around and do a bit of painting. I attend the art class, the biology, and go for the walks, which are all very interesting, and all the functions that Morris arranges are all very successful, such as midweek breaks in Sligo, and tours around the art galleries and that sort of thing. There's no necessity for anyone of our age to be lonely. I had been with my doctor and he told me to keep my art up. That's the only thing that can make me better. We're completely non-political, non-sectarian, non-everything as a matter of fact, except active participation. This is the thing that we think most important, that when somebody joins our society or our association, we tell them that we are not... Uh, an old age group neither are we uh, an association for geriatrics we invite people to take an an active participation in everything and to volunteer for things that they are interested in if we haven't got the particular activity we try and build up sufficient interest between other members to achieve 
the requisite number to form a class in that. The VEC, that's the Vocational Education Committee and Dunleary, have been particularly generous in helping and helpful. When they found that uh, we were interested in these, they were kind enough to offer teachers to take classes in various subjects uh, free gratis and for nothing. We have the odd exception where the members pay for the class, but generally speaking, either the VEC provides a teacher free for us or we provide our own teacher. Not all the activities are indoor. Our walking class, which goes for walks all over the place, there is no inhibition on numbers, as many people as wish to go or not. We organise tours. We've been down to Bunratty. Uh, we flew down by Jumbo Jet. Uh, and uh, had a most enjoyable time down there. One of our members is not exactly one of the Polar Bear Club, but she does swim all the year round, which makes me shudder, quite frankly. But when she asked me about it, I said, well, I would be very interested in swimming if it were an indoor heated pool. Lo and behold, we now have the use of the blue pool in Monkstown, and we have up to 20 people come on a Monday or a Wednesday. And myself and my wife look forward to this. We have a, a very enjoyable swim on a Monday or a Wednesday. The emphasis is on participation. The Dunleary Association is now helping to set up similar associations in other areas. Well, we have been asked to... Uh, assist in this project by helping other people in various parts, for instance in Drumcondra now they've all formed their own association over there based on our lines and we sent somebody over there to assist them I also went down myself to Monkstown and gave them a little talk there and suggested that the first thing they should do is to form a committee and from then to canvass their membership and from there contact the various uh, people like the rector, the parish priest, the rabbi if necessary and get them to see what assistance they can give to uh, in material form to get the thing off the ground such as accommodation, things like that. We had recently uh, a three-day tour of uh, Ross Point, Sligo, and before going up there we were asked if we would uh, call in and give them a talk up there. I think it was the Chamber of Commerce wanted to start us off there, so we gave a little uh, talk up there to help them on their way.